Hey, good morning, everyone. Find your seats. And uh, as you're sitting down, um, if you would, turn in your Bibles. We are going to be in, uh, again, in 2 Kings, uh, mainly in chapters 13 and 14. 2 Kings will be in the back part of your Bible, the Old Testament, kind of the, or the front part, sorry. Um, and you can find 2 Kings chapter 13 and 14. We'll also be looking in 2 Chronicles, uh, but they're mirror, uh, they're mirror stories. 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings kind of go together. The stories, almost some of it is word for word with some different nuances, just like the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the same story about Jesus, but they tell a little bit different perspective um, on the issue. We've picked back up our series. We started this series last summer called In the Lord's Sight. And we've now picked back up this series because we didn't get all the way through it. We decided to go ahead and jump into 2 Corinthians in the fall, uh, which uh, was great. Um, but now we're jumping back to finish uh, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Um, also, you can find the scriptures online if you go to our webpage and hit Go Live. You can find the scriptures there both in English and in Spanish. Uh, they're there for you, and you can follow along with those. By the way, those scriptures are up all week long. So if there's something I say that you want to go back and find or think about, or you're like, what did he, where was that? If you go back and click on that, up until about Saturday night, those scriptures are there for you all week to go back and refer back to. Um, and so be sure to check that out. Uh, the reason we call this series In the Lord's Sight is because it's the most quoted phrase, one of the most quoted phrases in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, because as God talks about um, the leaders that are leading his people and the people, he says, this guy did what was right in the Lord's sight. This guy didn't do what was right in the Lord's sight. And it's kind of this idea of whose sight are we trying to attract? Whose attention are we trying to get? Are we trying to be sure that we're right in God's sight or are we trying to be right in everybody else's eyes? Because even Jesus said, you can't please both man and God. It doesn't work. Like you have to make a choice. And sometimes pleasing God leads to the favor of men, but oftentimes as we read scripture, it doesn't. And we're going to see this morning how this kind of plays out as, as we look at it. Last, here's the, the division. Remember where we are in the story. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They're in a civil war, basically. They were in this war for 150, 200 years. Then the northern kingdom gets annihilated by the, by the Assyrians because of their wickedness. God allows the Assyrians to just kind of wipe out the northern empire. And then the southern empire, Judah, lasts a little bit longer. But in their pride, they think, yeah, those northern guys, they were really bad, but we got it all together, right, in their mind. And so as a result, the southern kingdom doesn't repent. It gets more prideful. And then the Babylonians come in and wipe out the southern kingdom. And God scatters his people. He's trying to teach them a lesson of like, if you trust me, I'll be with you. But if you pull this stuff, I'm going to have to continue to get your attention by sending problems because let's face it you typically don't learn very well when things are going well you learn well when things aren't going well that's when you're open to learning typically and that's just our heart it's the wickedness of of man's heart that does that and at times we learn when things are going well but often that's just not the case we get comfortable we get prideful and that's exactly what you see the roller coaster ride up now remember in the northern kingdom they never once had a king that was good in the lord's sight he did some good but not once do they have a king that was like a righteous king in the northern kingdom and we're going to look at that this morning in the southern kingdom they had some righteous ones and some bad ones and it kind of went up and down okay and so there's some of the details last week we looked at the fact that the people would not listen 
The people just would not listen. They wouldn't listen to the leaders. They wouldn't listen to the prophets. They wouldn't listen to God. The people knew better, and it caused a mess. This week, what I want to look at is this phrase, he did not turn away. He did not turn away. Now, this phrase, you could see, is, could be a tragic statement, or it could be an amazing statement, right? It could be a statement of, like, endurance, that this guy was so, like, faithful that he wouldn't turn away from God. In the context we're going to look at this morning, that's not the context. In the context that we're going to look at this morning is that God was doing everything he could to get the attention of two kings, one in the northern kingdom, one in the southern, actually four kings. He did everything he could to get their attention, and they would not turn away from the patterns and the behaviors and the beliefs and the things that they had and turn to God's word. They kept, they, they kept walking in the ways of the people that went before them, and then they created new ways that weren't godly. So then they didn't walk in the right ways and created new ways to rock, walk in wrong ways, which if you're honest, you and I do the same thing. We just don't care what God says. It's just easier to kind of go along and get along and to do what everybody else is doing, right? Just don't question everything. It's working. Don't mess it up. It's kind of our mentality, and that's exactly what you see here. And the word turn away is a word that in the New Testament, in the Greek, is, is, is the word repentance. It's to repent, right? And Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a word you see all the way through the Bible, and it's the same thing. Repentance means you're going in one direction, and you say, no more, I'm turning to go the opposite direction. So I'm going in the direction away from God, and I'm going to repent and turn and go in the direction to God. That's, that's what this idea of turning means. That's what the word repentance means. It's not you beat yourself and have a big emotional experience and, and show off and you pray a prayer. and like That's not necessarily repentance. It can be a part of repentance. But repentance is actually going the other way. It's choosing to turn away from something and turn to something. And you know that in life. If you're going to change... You have to turn away from things and people and turn to other things and people. If you're going to make changes, you can't eat the sweets anymore. <laughs> you, got, you got to turn the other direction. And instead of reaching for the sweet drawer, you go for the veggie drawer in the bottom, right? Like the crisper drawer. It's a choice you have to make. You have to turn. When you're in the grocery store, you, you turn away from that aisle and you turn to the other aisle. Like, don't go down that one. It's, I don't need to go there. Like you have to, we have to make these decisions, but this turn or these changes that we make may not always be good. There are people that look like they eat healthy and they look like they're healthy people, but they may have an eating disorder because you don't know their heart. You don't know why. And that's the critical part. Who and what do we turn to and why do we turn to it and how do we do it right? That's really the question that God is trying to get with his people. And we get that wrong so many times. We, like the people in scripture, turn away from the big biblical things to the wrong things all the time. We turn away from biblical counsel and we lean into ear tickling counsel that tells us what we want to hear. We even slap God's name on things he never asked us to put his name on, which is exactly the northern kingdom who created two golden calves and put God's name, Yahweh and Yahweh, on the two golden calves that they created which God told them not to do, which is why they continued in wickedness. It's because they were like, 
He didn't, Jeroboam, when the kingdom split, God said, I'll bless you as long as you don't create another way of worship and you keep coming back to Jerusalem, I'll bless you. And Jeroboam said, nah, I think I'm gonna create another way of worship, create two golden calves, because I don't wanna make the people go back because then I might lose my power and they might start listening to the king in the southern kingdom. Does that make sense? In other words, Jeroboam said, that doesn't really work for me. I just don't see it that way. So I'm going to make two golden calves. But here's the deal. I'm not going to make two idols for us to pray to some cow god. No, 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 no. These two golden calves, they're God. They're Yahweh, is what he says. And that's exactly what we do. So let's dive in. 2 Kings 13, 14. We pick back up the story. I'm sorry, 13, 10. It says, in the 37th year of Judah, King's year of Judah's King Joash, Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. You get all those names? You got it? <laughs> the Jehoaz, the Hajah, Hosea, like you, they're all there, but you got to kind of think through this. You, you've got to try to figure out these names. And then he says, he, okay, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from all the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit, but he walked in them. Stop there. So God lays out this story, but, and here's what's going to happen. We are going to unpack over the next several verses, 40 years of history. So, so this morning, in the time that we have, we're going to cover 40 years. Most of you in this room have not been alive for 40 years, okay? But we're going to cover 40 years like that. And see, that's what we sometimes forget about the Bible, is that we forget when we're reading stories and we're jumping through, you can go through a chapter or two and you've passed a lifetime, a lifetime, you would have had to live with these kings that we're going to look at this morning. Four kings, Joash, Jehoaz, Amaziah, and Jeroboam. Those are the four kings, two in the northern, two in the southern. We're going to look at those kings this morning. It covered almost a 40, that would have been your whole life. You wouldn't have known another political leader had you lived in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. This would have been your life. No voting and getting a new president. It's not going to happen. These guys are in charge. And so as you read these stories, don't forget to think about that this idea of not turning is not like, oh, he didn't turn and then God moved him on after a couple of years. He didn't turn for 29 years of God warning him, sending him prophets, trying to get his attention, giving him the word. And he kept saying, no, no, later, later, no, no, later, later. And finally, God's like, I've had enough. In all of these cases, and that can be the case for us if we're not careful, that God in his incredible compassion and wisdom gives 40 years. He should, when we read this stuff, he should have killed this king. Like, okay, he's not going to honor me. You're gone. And yet God gave him time and love and compassion and warnings because he desires, as the Bible said, that none would perish, but all would turn. All would come to repentance is what scripture says. And then we can look at it and think, man, I don't want to be like this guy. I don't want to be like someone who refuses to turn away and continues in the stuff that I was raised in, in the stuff I thought was right, in the teachers that told me wrong things. I want to, I want to find out the actual truth and why it's the truth and why it's set up that way in Scripture. Because I don't want to walk in the ways that I've just inherited and that work. Like, we've got to stop doing that in our culture. We've got to actually question. Now, I don't mean deconstruct. There's this thing out here called deconstruct your faith. I'm not talking about deconstruct your faith. I'm talking about constructing it. Like, like believing what the Word says, digging in and not just 
finding your favorite theologian and listen to everything he says and he's the boss, like you understand it. You go after it. When there are difficult problems, understand why they're difficult problems and why there's disagreements. And dig in and decide what you're going to walk in because you've got to make that decision. And if you keep waffling back and forth like these kings, you're going to end up like the kings. You're going to end up with broken relationships all around you from waffling back and forth and back and forth instead of walking in the Lord. And that's exactly what this king, Judah's king Joash, did. goes on, it says this, the rest of the events of Jehoash's reign, along with all his accomplishments and the power he had to wage war against Judah's king Amaziah, are written about in the historical records of Israel's kings. So here's Israel's kings. So you got a Jehoash, or Je, you have a Joash and a Jehoaz, Jehoash, and then a Jehoaz. It's so confusing. But if you write it all down, you can figure it out. And then he says, look at this. It says, and all the power he had to wage war against Judah's king Amaziah, so they're at war against each other, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Jehoash rested with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat on his throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Look, this is a 40-year time period. Look at what this is. You've got two kings in Judah, Joash and Amaziah. Click. Joash and Amaziah, and then you have two kings in Israel, Jehoash and Jeroboam. Those are the four kings we're talking about. That's the order. They're going in. Okay? You got that? That's what we're covering. Okay. I just want to be sure because you can get lost in this really, really easy. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. What patterns are you unwilling to recognize and turn away from that you want to walk in or keep walking in? What are things that you want to be true for your life, that you want God to make true but you're ignoring what he says is actually true. You'd rather pursue what you want than, than actually believe what's true about God because to believe what's true about God is so much more costly than what you want. And you all believe things. I do too, that God is gonna challenge your whole life and peel back like an onion to show you that there are things that you are walking in with. You've got to turn away from these things. And thank, thank you, Jesus, that he is patient with us in this process. And that these kings show his patience. Because man, I need his patience and his grace and his mercy. And you know, it's not the sins that we know about that are the ones that really cause the devastation. It's the ones that we purposely don't want to know about and purposely stay ignorant of that end up costing you the most. They just do. People try to, I'm not, no, I don't deal with that. That's not me. I, no. Those are the ones that are going to come back and get you every time. And that's what we see in the story. Pick back up the story, verse 14. It says, when Elisha became sick with the illness that he died from, Jehoash, king of Israel, went down and wept over him. Don't skip this verse. There are some verses sometimes in the Bible that when they're there, you should pause for a minute and think about. This is one of those verses. Elisha was the prophet that followed Elijah, who was the number one prophet of the Old Testament, Okay. Like when, when, when Jesus comes back at the transfiguration, there are two people there when he goes up into heaven after his resurrection. It's Elijah and Moses, okay? Elisha takes over for Elijah, okay? So Elisha has been a faithful prophet, you ready for this? In the northern kingdom of Israel where no one is listening to him. He has spent his entire life telling them, what you're doing is wrong, don't do this, multiple kings, multiple lifetimes. People are like, Nah, it's great for you, Elisha. You, that's awesome. They're not listening. Jehoash, 
We just read, Jehoash is not turning from his sin. Jehoash is still walking in the sins of Jeroboam, which is the two golden calves with God's names on them, and he won't repent of it. So he's not listening to Elisha either. And yet, he weeps over Elisha. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had someone that was confronting me all the time and confronted my father and his father, like, and just as a pain in my rear, I would not be weeping over him being ill and a sickness that's going to kill him. I'd be like, that's, that's unfortunate. That would be my best spiritual attempt to be like, oh, that's unfortunate. If I'm having a bad moment, I'd be like, yes, yeah, serves you right, right? That'd be your heart. But Jehoash weeps. You see, sometimes just because we're emotional, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't change us. You can be as emotional as you want to be. Does it change you? Oftentimes, the more emotional we are, the less we change. Because we're, we're really, really emotional because we want everybody to respond to us, not us respond to God. Are emotions bad? No. God has emotions, for goodness sake. He's a jealous God. He's an angry God. He's a loving God. He's a compassionate God. Like, emotions are not bad, but they have to be brought under the authority of God. And Jehoash is having emotions that don't match his actions. I mean, Elisha should, I mean, he should have been confused. Like, oh, you're here crying over me? I figured you'd be glad I was dead. You know, finally, you don't have to listen to me anymore. But sometimes there's still a little bit of good left. And Jehoash has this moment, he has this little bit left of seeing that, wow, if this prophet dies, I recognize that he's a man of God and we may lose some protection. This just happened recently in our world when Billy Graham died. You had a nation of people all sad that Billy Graham had passed away. How many of them do you think repented of their sin and decided to go out and preach like Billy Graham preached? When Billy Graham died. Oh, we we're all sad about it. That's so unfortunate. What a great man who preached to millions and counseled presidents. Oh, that's unfortunate. Okay, let's go watch a movie. Same thing. We know it's unfortunate. It kind of scares us and be like, oh no, what are we going to do? We lost a great evangelist, a prayer warrior, a man of God in our culture. That's too bad. I'm not the one to replace him. I'm not the one to step up. It's somebody else. Jehoash could have said, you know what, we've lost Elisha. I could repent and become a king that actually is prophetic to my people and tells them the truth about God. And he doesn't do that. See, here's why. This statement I'm getting ready to make, I stole from a guy named, um, on a commentary, okay, and you'll see it. Here's what it says. Jehoash was not a worshiper of false gods. He had two golden calves and he named them both what? Yahweh. He wasn't worshiped. Jehoash did not worship Baal or Asherah or Molech or any of the other gods. Here's what Joash did. He was a false worshiper of the true God. There might be some of you in this room who are false or listening online that are false worshipers of the true God. If you're really honest, you spend most of your time worshiping yourself in your self-pity, your sadness, trying to keep control of your life and do things instead of being a true worshiper of the true God. You have slapped God's name on things that are idols that God never asked you to pursue or build. And God is saying, look, I want you to be a true worshiper of me. 
It's one of the best quotes I found as I was studying this material. I'm like, wow, that's good stuff. He was a false worshiper of the true God. I don't want that for you. Elisha didn't want that for any of the people of his day or for Joash. Here's what 2 Corinthians that we studied in the fall says. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, one of his multiple letters. And he says, for godly grief produces a repentance, a turning not to be regretted and leading to salvation, but worldly grief produces faith. You see, Joash didn't have a godly repentance. He didn't have a godly sorrow. He had a worldly sorrow. He was sad that he was losing protection because Elisha was a prayer warrior. Elisha was providing covering and protection for the nation and even for the king because Elisha's like, I'm praying for you. Oh, good. I'm glad someone's praying for me. Well, I'm praying for you to repent. Well, that's not going to happen, but keep praying for me. How many times have people said that to you? Like, I'm praying for you. Like, that's great. And then it's like, but I'm praying that you'll repent. You see, Joash wept over him because he thought, oh, no, this is going to be tough. This is going to be bad. And it's a big emotional display. And look at what Joash says. He says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. This is a reference to a story that we already read about. This is a reference, okay, that, that happened when Elijah was taken up in front of Elisha to heaven. Literally, chariots came, whatever it was, fire, we don't know the whole story. But basically, Elisha is taken up. Chariots come and win a battle that was unwinnable on behalf of God. And they go up to heaven. And Elijah is taken out of sight of Elisha. There are only two people we know of in the Bible that were taken kind of just taken. That was Moses and Elijah. They just gone. Moses was buried on the mountain. They just walked up the mountain and gone. And so Elisha took over for that. So when Jehoash is telling this story, he's saying, I know the word. I know the stories. I know why you are where you are. And literally he's saying, my father, my father, he's looking at him. Now, not only is he emotional, but he's giving this guy like incredible titles it happens all the time. People will come to you, they'll tell you the title that they want you to, oh, pastor, pastor. Like, am I really your pastor? Because you don't listen to me. <laughs> like, it's great that you call me pastor, but, you know, I mean, Jesus said, it's great that you call me Lord, but even the demons, or not Jesus, the, in the New Testament, Paul, even the demons call Jesus Lord. Does it change you? Does it, does it make a difference? The story you read about in 1 Kings, here's the story. It says, between Elijah and Elisha, as they were walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated Elijah and Elisha. Then Elijah went up to heaven in the whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha was worshiping. He's, he's like, wow, this is amazing. And then it says, then he never saw Elijah again. He took hold of his own clothes, Elijah's, and tore them, or tore them into two pieces. In other words, that's Elisha's clothes. Then Elisha picked up the mantle, that was the clothing, that had fallen off Elijah and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan River. And then he splits the river and they walk through and it's a symbol of what God has done before and the miracles God has done. So why does Jehoash use this phrase? Because it seems really unlikely that he's like really believing this. Well, number one, Jehoash is probably hoping that if Elisha's gone, you ready for this? 
that you'll allow the mantle to fall down to me, Joash, because you don't have a prophet that you're discipling. So like the mantle will fall to me and me, Joash. I, like I, I'm, oh, I see the horseman. Now give me your mantle. Oh, look, oh, I'm with you. I see it coming. Oh yeah, yeah. give me your mantle so I can have the power. See, this is manipulation because we know Jehoash, while he tried to walk with God, he, he just wouldn't do it. The other thing this could have been is Jehoash could have been saying, you're not going to die. See, there's a lot of false prophets out here who would say that this is, like, why doesn't God heal him? Look, it says he got an illness he wasn't going to recover from. There are preachers out there that say that that's not possible. That if you have enough faith, you'll be healed and God will heal you. So did Elisha just not have enough faith? Elisha actually healed people miraculously and watched Elijah raise people from the dead. So does Elisha not have enough faith? No, it's just sometimes you get sick and that's the thing that kills you. That's life. Like, we're not healed of everything. You gotta die of something. And so... Elisha chooses to die a slow and painful death. Elijah is taken up out of his sight, and Elisha's not bitter about it. He actually continues to serve God through it, which is amazing if you think about it. He didn't turn away from God because God said, well, you're going to die this way, and I just took Elijah on a chariot away from me. No pain, no suffering, just woo. Oh, that's the way I want to go. Nope, you're going to die miserably of a disease that's incurable, and it's going to take a while to kill you. I love you. You're going to be my witness. You're going to share with Joash. You're going to share with people. Like We just don't like that message. We love to listen to the false prophets who tell us, like, you can turn away from that, that wicked devil and his, his sickness. And you could throw that on God and that wicked devil sickness can't have you. Like, what? People get sick and die. It's just what happens. Sometimes God heals them. We should ask for God to heal. That's fine. You can ask for that. I'm sure Elisha asked many times to not have this sickness. And I'm sure God was like, mm, you're good. He goes on and says this in the story. We continue. Well, that, this actually in Matthew, look at what Jesus does when it comes to this whole idea of turning. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, fixed it on a reed and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. This was probably Je Jehoash's heart. I want to see the show. I want to see you go out. I want to see the chariots. I, oh, wait, let's not kill Jesus. Let, let's see if Elijah, let's see if something big happens. They don't repent. They're waiting to see if something happens that can benefit them. You know, oh, well, if we see the chariots, then we'll repent. Like at the last minute, if we see him coming, we'll be like, okay, it's real. I'm sorry, God, please save me. And there are lots of people who believe that. Well, you know, I'm going to have my fun now, but then when I get older and I get serious, then I'll repent. Then, then I'll just choose to follow God. But right now, you know, they're just having some fun. And, you know, no. And then it says, Luke 23, 35, the people stood watching and even the leaders kept scoffing at him as he's hanging on the cross. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Savior or Messiah, the chosen one. In other words, I'm not going to believe in someone who doesn't do for themselves because I'm looking to get for myself and I want to follow people who know how to do for themselves and build for themselves because I want to be for myself. 
And that's how we sell everything in our culture. It's how we sell everything in our culture. We don't want to be like God. We don't want to be crucified like Christ. We don't want to be a suffering saint. We don't, we don't want to do what God did and just walk obediently. And sometimes you get favor. Sometimes you get your head cut off. No, 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 no. I'm looking for the thing that will work out for my success. And that was the heart of Joash. Instead of turning to God, they turned away. Second Kings goes on. It says, Elisha responded. Look at this. Elisha, even though he sees that Joash is probably not genuine, he's still trying to encourage the people of God. He's trying to get Joash to see that God still wants to be with you. God still wants to use you, Joash. Your heart's not right, but he still wants to use you. And he says, look at this. Take a bow and arrows. So he got a bow and arrow. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So the king put his hand on the bow and Elisha put his hands on the kings. This is intimate. If you're holding a bow and arrow and a guy comes up behind you, is like, you're like, that's going to freak you out for a minute, right? And then he says, look at this. I love this. Elisha said, open the east window. So he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. So he shot. They're shooting random arrows out of a window. You know how much trouble I would have got in as a kid for doing this? Like just, woo, like, yeah. Like, I mean, that's like every guy's dream. Like, I can just shoot out of the window? Yeah, just shoot. Just trust me. Oh, I'm trusting you on this. Now, here's the thing. You have to remember that Jehoash's grandfather was Jehu. Jehu was an archer. Jehu was the archer that killed both the kings of Israel with his arrows the Israel and the southern kingdom who were Ahab's children. And God said, Jehu, Ahab is so wicked, his family cannot continue to rule. And Jehu went to war on God's command to eliminate them because Ahab was so evil and his sons were so evil that he eliminated them with arrows. So this is a guy that is a three generation or more professional archer who now has a guy wrapped around him. Like, let me show you how to do it. You're a prophet. I'm the archer from my granddaddy. Never seen you shoot a bow in your life. Elijah's like, no, trust me here. Then he says, see, because here's what God will do. God will use things that are normal illustrations to you, normal things in your life. He will turn them upside down to give them significance like they never had before if you'll let him. If you'll let him. He had to let Elijah get close. He had to listen. He had to obey. And listen, to Joash's, Jehoash's credit, he actually is being obedient. He's actually listening for the first time. He's actually like, okay, I'll listen to you. Okay, you're giving me a big hug. Okay, like we're shooting out a window. Okay, like at least he's listening. And then it goes on, it says this. So he opened it. Elisha said, shoot, he shot. Then Elijah said, the Lord's arrow of victory. Yes, the arrow of victory over Aram. You are to strike down the Arameans and Aphek until you have put an end to them. Until you've put an end to them. See, this was not an uncommon thing. Normally what would happen in battles or in significant things is that you would fire arrows into your enemy and that was a sign of wars coming. Like you would fire an arrow like, okay, we're coming. Like, so this wasn't an uncommon thing 
Again, they were in the east. This army that they were going to attack would have been in the east. Aram was eastward. So it's like you're, you're shooting an arrow towards where you're going and it's dropping and you're picking a fight. But I'm telling you, God is with you because this wicked nation has been destroying and hurting my people. And so Jehoash, I've raised you up as a king to go in and to take care of this wickedness because it's permeating. And I'm telling you, you are going to be the one that can put an end to them. Don't miss that part when we go into the next part. See, Psalm 127.3 says this, Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, children a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver full of arrows. To launch into the world. Children to launch into the world. You realize that on this side of eternity, there's only one thing that you can do on this side of eternity that you can't do in heaven. It's bring souls into the world. Either through actual physical childbirth or through born again spiritual rebirth. That will never happen. In, there's no marriage in heaven. There's, there's no being born again in heaven. Once Jesus comes back and establishes the new heaven and the new earth, it's over. The only thing we get to do is bring souls into the world, which God has said the only way a soul is going to be brought into the world is through the womb of a woman and the man's sperm. That's going to happen. That's how I bring souls into the world. And then I bring spiritual souls into the world by people who are going out and asking people to be born again to trust him, to start over. That's the only thing we get to do on this side of eternity that we can't do better in heaven. We're going to worship better, fellowship better. We're going to be nice more. We're going we're to be perfect in heaven, but that's the only thing we have to do here. And guess what? That's the thing that we fight doing more than anything. And it's the thing that we say, I've done enough and we back off of. I've had enough kids. I've discipled enough people. I've shared my faith with them. I'm good. You don't think that's the case? Look at the story. Elisha responded, take a bow and arrows. You got the quiver. So he got a bow and arrow. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. He's not with him this time. He's taking his hands off. Put your hands on the bow. So the king put his hands on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. So, I, sorry, he does again. He's got his hands on it. Elisha said, open the east window. He does that. Okay. Oh, sorry. I, I missed it. Then Elisha said, take the arrows. So he took them. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. He's not talking about taking arrows out and doing this. Okay. Just hear me out. Striking the ground as you would shoot them into the air to strike the ground. It's like we read this and we're like, oh, he just took the arrows out. And it's like, no, that's not what he was doing. It's like you're an archer. So you're like striking the ground, pulling, pulling arrows, right? And then he says, so he struck the ground three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Aram until you had put an end to them. But now you will only strike down Aram three times. He just told him, God wants to use you to eliminate these wicked people that, that are destroying the world, that are hurting people. And he's like, one, two, three. Okay, that's good enough. I got to save some arrows for me. I might need them later. I just, I might hit somebody out there. I don't know where these things are going when I'm flying these arrows, you know. A, versus he just shot an arrow and the prophet told him, you're going to like annihilate an entire nation and like God is going to be with you. I don't know about you, but I would hope that my attitude would be, I wonder what I get for the next however many arrows I have. Like, what about this? I'll just keep shooting them. Like, 
If I got that one for one arrow, what am I getting for six? But see, that's Jehoash's heart. Defeating Aram's good enough. Shooting the arrow, I look, God's with me. There you go, okay, I'm good. I, got, I prayed to prayer, received Jesus, got my ticket punched, I'm going to heaven. He's not done with you. There's more that he wants to do over your lifetime because this is going to take Jehoash's lifetime to go through of reigning. He reigned for many years. This isn't like he just goes and defeats Aram. It's like it's, he keeps having to battle with them his whole life. And instead of eliminating it, now he's only going to have to deal with it three times and then it's going to come back. This is a great picture of sin in our life too. The God asks us to kill and crucify the flesh, to destroy, to launch, get rid of the sin. And we do it about three times and then we just let it invite it all back in. When God's like, I want to eliminate the sin and the evil in your life completely. But you're going to have to keep battling. It's not like he says you're going to battle once and then Aram's gone. It's like, no, you're going to battle your entire lifetime and in the end you'll win. And now he says, but since you only shot three arrows, you're going to battle three times and then... That's the way it's going to go. You see, we want to get to that certain place where like, I'm good now. There is no I'm good now. There's not. It's a constant battle with the Lord because he's trying to do something in our world to bring souls to salvation and see who he is. He goes on, then Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to come into the land in the spring of the year. Once, as, as the Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a writing party so they threw the man into Elisha's tomb when he touched Elisha's bones the man revived and stood up <laughs> so Elisha couldn't revive himself but like this guy gets thrown in the tomb and they're like yeah we killed him throw him in there with Elisha and then he pops up and like hi guys and you're like what just happened I love stories like this in the Bible where God's just like see I can do anything if I want to do something I can do it I don't resurrect everybody, but every once in a while, I'm going to like, bring somebody back just so you remember, like, that's the point of the story. Look at what happened when Jesus was crucified. Go back to the crucifixion story. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Jesus fought all the way to the end. He didn't just three times, all the way to the end, he died for you and I. He lived a perfect life and became a perfect sacrifice to the end of his life so that when we turned away from him, he could say, I have never turned from you. And then he says, look at this. Suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earthquake, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now here's the problem. You go, oh, did that really happen? Probably most people didn't write about it because I don't know about you, but if you're walking downtown Bloomington and some guy came up to you on the street, you don't know what King David looked like. And King David's like, I'm King David. And you're like, this guy just said he's King David. But that's nice. We're, we're going down to Dave's Hot Chicken. Have a nice time. Like, you're, you're not going to believe some guy who comes up and says, I'm King David. They're, they didn't have pictures. You can't be like, well, I'm going to check on Facebook to see if you're King David. They didn't have that. So these saints that were raised, they had to come out and say, I've been raised. And probably people were looking at them like, we, what about, our city's filled with crazy people who think they came back from the dead. And they're like, no, I really did. Some scholars believe that at the transfiguration, when Jesus was taken up, these people would have been taken up with it. Which is why they didn't stick around. It's 40 days, and, or 49 days, and then he was taken up. 
And then it says this, as they came out of the tombs after the resurrection and entered the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they were terrified. They were emotional. You ever been terrified before? See, terror can motivate you in two ways, fight or flight. It can cause you to have faith and lean in and be like, I've got to walk through this. Or it can cause you to run and just be like, I am not dealing with that. Both responses could be the right response. But then it says, look, he then said, this man really was God's son. But we don't have any evidence. Maybe later, this is the centurion that's talked about in Acts. We don't know. But at this point, he's not like, this was God's son, and now I'm going to go tell everyone this is God's son. I am now a Christian. I'm not, that's not what this says. It says he got emotional, and he said, this is God's son. Just like Joash got emotional and said, this is God's prophet. Okay, this is God's word. Okay, but does it change you? Do you obey it? Do you listen to it? Do you fight with it? Or do you accept it? You're trying to construct a, a bale, a, a calf with this thing? Or do you say, no, this is the God. I'm not going to create a different one. He goes on and says this. Hazel, king of Aram, opposed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoaz, throughout the whole reign. Like it's the whole reign. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not willing to destroy them. Even now, God has not banished them from his presence. God's like, I should kill Joash. I, Joash didn't listen. He hasn't repented. He has the rest of the people. They haven't told, torn down the golden calves. Like, I should just be done. And then it says, but the Lord was gracious and compassionate. And you know what? Even though they kept turning away from God to idols, even though they kept turning to themselves, God says, I'm going to keep turning towards you and looking for anyone that will turn back to me. That's our God. And he does not have to do that. If he is the God of the universe, he could Noah us. That means you just wipe out the earth and start over with two people. Like just poof, done, okay, start over. And he doesn't. He's gracious and compassionate, but don't take his grace and compassion as permission to do what you want. That's what Joash did. Jehoash did. That's what these kings were doing. Goes on, it says, King Hazel of Aram died, and his son Ben-Hadad became king in his place. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, took back from Ben-Hadad, son of Hazel, the cities that Hazel had taken over in war from Jehoash's father, Jehoaz. Jehoash defeated Ben-Hadad three times and recovered the cities of Israel. Three times, there it was. Exactly the amount of times that Elisha said it would be. 1 Kings 14 says, In the second year of Israel's king Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, Amaziah, son of Jehoash, became king in Judah. So you got the northern kingdom we've been talking about. Now we're moving to the southern kingdom. Okay, north and south. Here we go. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoaddan and was from Jerusalem. Do you know Jehoaddan means Yahweh delights or pleasure or he delights in time. That, that's his mom's name. Yahweh delights. And then it goes on and it says, he did what was right in the Lord's sight. Check. But not like his ancestor David. He did everything his father Joash had done. Yet the high places were not taken away and the people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. Listen, in the passage before this, it said that God did this for Joash, and had compassion, and he was gracious. Why? 
because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The compassion and grace that you probably have on your life is because there was somebody generations before you praying for you. There have been people that have gone before us who have given their life to be sure that you can have a life. And when we get prideful and arrogant and I've done it and it's me and God's like, no, 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 no. I am not gracious and compassionate in meeting you because of you. I'm doing it because you had a granddaddy, a great grand. You had an Abraham and Isaac and a Jacob. And I am honoring my covenant with them that you happen to be a part of. You just so happen to be a part of this thing. Don't give yourself too much credit. That's how big God is, that he is still, every time someone prays to receive Jesus, Abraham still gets credit for his faith in heaven. Every time. Because that's what God does. He honors those who have been faithful. That should give you incredible confidence that, you know what, even if you're Abraham and you only have one, well, you have two kids, one kid that follows God, that's the promised kid, and you're like, how is God going to build a great nation from this one child? Well, Three of the major world religions today and over half the world's population trace their lineage back to Abraham. I think God did it. He goes on and says this. He said that he wouldn't take down the high places. He wouldn't go after and turn away from those high places. Listen, you know what high places are? High places are places that you've established to worship the Lord. The high places are not idols, just like Joash. He was a... He was a false worshiper of the true God. The high places are false worshiping of the true God. You have high places that you've erected. I have high places that need to be torn down in my life. There is a culture, a Christian subculture that has created high places in our culture that need to be torn down. We are called Protestants. You want to know why? Because some guy said, Luther said there are high places that need to be torn down. And he posted the high places in the 95 Theses on the door of the church and said, this has to change. And we're Protestants. We're here because some guy was like, no more high places. The Pope is not God. No. Like, you're not saved by works. It's through grace. It's through what God does. That Martin Luther did that. And God is looking for those that will tear down the high places, that will work with him and going after those things. But we don't want to, we just want to continue in our ways because if you go after the high places, you're, you're going to get your head cut off. You, did you do? Jesus went after the high places. He was crucified. John the Baptist went after the high places, got his head cut off. And, and so we don't go after him because it's just too hard. And I don't want hard. I'm looking for easy. I'm looking for emotional pleasure. I, I don't want hard things. And, I, and actually, I don't believe that doing the hard things will actually bring me more joy and more pleasure than I could ever imagine. But you don't think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in heaven right now and every time someone repents, is going, oh man, that was worth it. Oh, dude, that was worth it. I'd go back and do it again. Oh, whatever I suffered, let's go again. Yeah, I'm on it. But we're so earthly focused and God is like, look beyond. He goes on and says this. As soon as the kingdom was firmly in Amaziah's grasp, he killed the servants who had murdered his father, the king. Remember, they conspired against his dad and killed him. However, he did not put the children of the murderers to death. As it is written in the book of the law, that's Deuteronomy 24, 16, where the Lord commanded fathers must not, put to, fathers must not be put to death because of the children of children, and children must not be put to death because of fathers. Instead, each one will be put to death for his own sin. 
This is a very important verse. You see, if you go after authority, you're going to be in trouble. And these men went after authority and you can't overthrow the king. We see that throughout scripture. Like, Be careful how you approach authority. And if you conspire, you better be careful because it's probably going to come back around on you and you're going to be conspired against. This is one of the reasons why our church, not judging people, but we talk to people about constantly switching churches. That if you keep switching churches and you're not doing it and being handed off properly and there's not a conversation and prayer and maybe even fasting and care for the body of Christ, then what ends up happening is the conspiracies you come up with, they're just going to come back around again and back around again. And you're going to be on your third, fourth, fifth, sixth marriage, never looking in the mirror and going, let me see, the common denominator in my sixth church and my sixth marriage is me. They were all different people. They were all different issues, but I'm the common denominator. Maybe I need to pause and figure out what's going on in my heart. Because most churches come in and it's about attracting the already saved and disgruntled from other churches. Listen, I want to help people heal. I want to help them see the truth. But if you're going to conspire to leave there, then you'll be here a couple years and you'll just conspire to leave here. And you'll just keep that pattern. You won't turn to God and say, God, I want to follow you. And it's not about me. It's not about you following me as the pastor. It's about you giving your life to the bride of Christ and a local bride. You can say, oh, I give my life to the bride of Christ. Okay, well, you got to do that specifically. Like, I give my wife, I give my, my life to my wife. Well, where is she? I don't know. She's floating around out there somewhere. I don't think you're probably giving your life to her then. And he says, as it is written, this is, this is beautiful. God does not punish people for the sins that others have committed. He only punishes you for your sin. That's incredibly gracious and compassionate. That's amazing. You're not caught in your mommy and daddy's sin. You're not caught in the mess you were brought up in and the problems and the stuff. You're also not caught in everything that they may have taught you about Christ that maybe is a little off. You can actually turn to the God's word and change, the Bible says. You can say, like, in, in this moment of clarity for Amaziah, as it is written. He actually obeys God's word, as it is written. Man, that is beautiful. This also pushes back kind of against the whole idea that we're going to in our culture, which is reparations. Everybody's talking about reparations now and paying people back for the sins that... No! Christians, we do not believe in reparation. We believe in owning sin and grace. The only solution in this world is going to be the grace of God, recognizing the evil that was committed and done and crying out to God for his grace and extending that grace to one another. You can never pay back enough sin. You, you can't kill enough people to deal with the family line. You'll just be killing people and then the killing's gonna just come back on you, which actually happens to Amaziah, we'll see in just a sec. In 2 Corinthians, this story is picked back up. It says that Amaziah gathered Judah and assembled them according to the ancestral house, according to the commanders of the thousands and the commanders of the hundreds. He numbered those 20 years old or more for Judah and Benjamin. He, he uh, found them to be 300,000 choice men who could serve in the army, bearing spear and shield. Let me tell you something. Anytime a king in the Old Testament takes a census, it's a sign of pride and evil, except one time when God said to do it. God did not ask Amaziah to take a census. Amaziah in his pride and his selfishness is counting numbers to see if he can get what he wants. And that's what we do. 
We look at our bank account. We're like, well, I haven't spent everything. So I go buy something now. Well, how do you know God doesn't want you to give that away? Or there's somebody, you put it in the savings. They're like, well, because it's there. And if it's there, I, I've counted. I, I, can, I can do what I want with it. You see, anytime you see this, it means that Amaziah is going in the wrong direction. He's getting pride in his heart. He's counting his numbers to see how powerful he is and what he can accomplish. And watch what happens. Then for 7,500 pounds of silver, he hired 1,000 brave warriors from Israel. Why? Because he counted and said, wow, I got a lot of silver. I can, I can hire some more warriors to get what I want. However, a man of God came to him. We don't even have the guy's name. This could have been you. You don't know. I mean, I don't know who he was. Some man of God like, came to him. And then says, it, it wasn't you because you'd be dead. Anyway, and then he says, look, king, do not let Israel's army go with you. For the Lord is not with Israel. All the Ephraimites. But if you go with them, okay, do it. Be strong for battle. But God will make you stumble before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to make one stumble. In other words, Amaziah, you're going to learn something here. You're either going to go with Israel and you're going to learn what it means to completely fall apart and be destroyed and learn from that. Or you cannot go with Israel because they've got sin. They worship the wrong gods. They're worshiping falsely the way they shouldn't. Now, here's the problem. Amaziah's got a real big issue here because he's already given his yes to 100,000 trained Israeli soldiers. And you think, yeah, but he's paid them well. Wouldn't they be happy? Like, oh, look, I got 7,500 silver and I don't have to go fight. Look what happens. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, what should I do about the 7,500 pounds of silver I gave to Israel's division? Notice, notice, he doesn't say, what should I do about the fact that I've sinned and I gave my yes and now I have to take it back? He's not worried about that. He's worried about the money. How do I get my money back? Then it goes on. Look what happens. Then the man of God replied, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. He doesn't say the Lord's going to give you much more. He just said he can. So be careful in your interpretation. Okay. He's not like, oh, God's going to just repay you. He's like, well, the Lord could do more. Couldn't he, Amaziah? Couldn't the Lord provide you 7,500 pounds silver if he wanted to? It's a rhetorical question. Then he goes on. He says, so Amaziah released the division that came from to him from Ephraim to go home. But they got very angry with Judah and returned home in a fierce rage. Yeah, this is what happens when you make commitments in relationships and you ran ahead and now you got to undo it and now you got a mess. This is what happens. It happens all the time in churches and marriages and families and business. Like this is the problem. We've got a plan. We're going to run after it. We're going to do this. And man, I got it figured out. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no. And you just see the casualties coming. Look at what happens. Amaziah strengthened his position, led his people to the Valley of Salt. He struck down 10,000 Sarites, and the, and the Judahites captured 10,000 alive. They took them to the top of a cliff where they threw them off, and all of them were dashed to pieces. That sounds very brutal, right? These people could have repented at any time. And they said, you know what? We were wrong following our gods. We were wrong fighting against you and the God of Israel. We, we surrender. They could have been spared, but they didn't. And it's the same picture of what heaven and hell is going to be like, that someday you're going to stand before the judgment of Christ and he's going to say, did you repent or not? And you're going to say, well, I want to now. It's too late. You're on the cliff. It's over. You had plenty of time to repent. 
And now the judgments come. Look at this. As for the men of the division that Amaziah has sent back, those are the Israelites, so they would not go with him into the battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Ben-Haran, struck down 3,000 of the, of the Ju Judites, and took a great deal of plunder. So while he's off fighting the war, these guys go back angry and they're like, fine, we'll take what we want. Now, why would they do that? Because Amaziah got all the plunder from this other nation. And they're looking and going, he got all that? We only got 7,500 pounds of silver? Oh, we're going to get ours. And so they go through. Now, look at what happens. After Amaziah came from the attack on the Edomites, he brought the gods of the Sarites and set them up as his gods. He worshiped before them and burned incense to them. What in the world? Of course he did. His heart was already prideful. He had already counted. God's already with him. I can do whatever I want. I'm so powerful. I can make anything happen. You start getting in that kind of position, and then all of a sudden you start inviting these other idols and gods into your life, and they'll kill you every time. He's not turning towards God. He's turning away from God to turn to wealth, to turn to power, to turn to all the things he wants. Then look what he says. So the Lord's anger was against Amaziah. I don't know about you, but I don't want the Lord's anger on me. And then he says, he sent a prophet to him. Oh gosh, don't miss that. God is furious with Amaziah and he doesn't send a lightning bolt out of heaven to kill him. He sends a prophet to say, I love you. Please stop. P please stop. God sent his one and only son to us to say, please stop. Jesus could have come and just annihilated everyone and he was rejected by the Jews because he didn't do that. He came to everyone and said, stop. There's a judgment coming, but not yet. Why have you sought a people's God that could not deliver their own people from your hand? While he was still speaking to him, the king asked, have we made you the king's counselor? Stop. Why should you lose your life? So the prophet stopped. But he said, I know that God intends to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my advice. This is like a summation of like our experience of sharing Christ and the gospel so often. You confront, you care about someone, you tell them the truth, you don't do this, this is going to kill you, don't go this direction, but wait, you, know, you say these things, and then it says, look, you get the response, stop, you're picking a fight here, I'll show you who's boss, you better keep your mouth shut. You know how, how many times it has pained me as a pastor, as, as a spiritual leader, it has pained me in my own kids' lives to have to stop and just let it happen. It is the most painful thing to watch when you see it happening. You've warned, you've tried, like, and sometimes it doesn't happen for 10, 20, 30 years. And then it happens, and, and I don't take pride in it. I'm like, ha, I was right, take that. It's like, no, Lord, please. You, you try to warn because you love, you try to give them, and it's like, no, their mind's made up. They're going this direction. We're going to win. We're going to do this. We're, you can't tell me. And if you keep saying this, we're out of here. You know how many people have left our church because we have lovingly given them counsel and said, don't do this. Think about this. Let's pray about this. Let's walk through this. And they're like, no, we're gone. My heart hurts for them. 
I hope that they'll repent because there's repentance available. And I'm not always right. But typically in those circumstances, I've checked my heart. I've gone to the word of God. I've tried to lay it out the best I can. But their mind's made up. He goes on and says this. Proverbs says this. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death. 21 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Isaiah 5, 21 says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Why don't you try to be wise in the Lord's eyes? Are serious? In the Lord's sight. No, no, you're trying to be wise in everybody else's sight and in your own sight. Be wise in the Lord's sight. Don't be short-sighted, be long-sighted on what God sees and why he sees it and why he says what he says. Second Kings, Amaziah killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He took Selah in the battle and called it Jokthel, which is the name to this very day. Amaziah then sent messengers to Joash son of Jehoaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, come, let us meet face to face. He's going to war against Israel for what they did. Look at this. King Jehoash of Israel sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, the thistle that was in Lebanon once sent a message to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son as a wife. Then a wild animal that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. What? Thistles and cedars? The wild thistle was Jehoash's grandfather Jehu who killed the cedar Ahab and the king of Judah who married Ahab's daughter and annihilated them. Jehu is looking graciously at Amaziah and saying, this has happened before and it didn't go well for any of God's people in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. Don't do this. I am from Jehu, don't do this. I will have to stand up for God and I will have to stand up for this. Don't do this, Amaziah, don't do it. Of course, Amaziah repents, he listens, everything turns out great, he does not. You have, defeated, you have indeed defeated Edom and you have become overconfident. Oh man, tell an overconfident person they're overconfident and watch what happens to them become even more overconfident, right? It's always what happens. They don't be like, oh, you're right. I am overconfident. I'm so sorry. No, I'm going to beat you, right? Then look what he says. Enjoy your glory and stay at home. <laughs> you know what? You've done enough. You weren't even following God when you did all this. Like, you know what? I, I, I at least listened to Elisha and did what he told me to do and fought Hazel and I, I did the Arameans. Like that was actually from God. What you've been doing, God didn't ask you to do. You've been doing on your own. Why don't you just accept that God hadn't killed you yet? You got a little bit of his favor and glory and stay home. Man, some of us need to hear that. We're so busy chasing and going and everything else and we need to learn to just stay just and love the Lord and love his people and believe that if you do that, he'll bring the harvest. He'll launch arrows. Some of you don't know this. I haven't asked permission to share this, but I'm going to share it and ask forgiveness later. Isabel has 
at Cross Conference, which we kind of already knew, has surrendered herself to go to the last to reach places on the earth. She has a mother named Joanna, who in college felt that call and instead chose to marry Jason. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Jason did not feel that call. Jason felt called to the church to raise up disciples and to send them out. Not knowing that the disciple was going to come from their family. You can't write that story. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but man, when it does, ha, huh, the glory of God. Look, the chariots, the warriors of Israel. He's real. God is so faithful. He's saying, don't be overconfident. Just trust the Lord. Go home. Why should you stir up such trouble that you fail? And you and Judah with you don't hurt your people. But Amaziah would not listen. For this turn of events was from God in order to hand them over to their enemies because they went after the gods of Eden. So King Jehoash of Israel advanced. He and King Amaziah of Judah faced off in Beth Am Shemesh that belonged to Judah. Judah was routed before Israel and everyone fled to his own tent. They ended up having to go back anyway. Went back home to their own tent anyway. And then it says, King Jehoash of Israel at Beth Shemesh, um, or sorry, King Joash of Israel captured Judah's king, Amaziah, son of Joash, son of Ahaziah at ben Beth Shemesh. Then, look at this, Jehoash went to Jerusalem, okay, and broke down 200 yards of Jerusalem's wall from Ephraim Gate to the corner gate. He took all the gold and silver and all the articles found in the Lord's temple and in the treasuries of the king's palace and some hostages. You talk about disgrace. You just beat a battle from the Sarites. You are on cloud nine. I've won. I've got what I was looking for. I finally got the thing I wanted. And in the pride, man, it all comes collapsing. And God allows Jehoash to go in and say this, I'm going to tear down all the protections you've established for yourself, all the wealth and the prosperity, the walls that you've built around yourself for protection. I am busting them down so that God can get through. And that's what God does in our life, in his mercy. Because now it's like, oh, we can't trust Amaziah. We can't trust our army. We can't trust our riches. Now we have to cry out to God because we got our rear ends kicked. And that's exactly what happens. It goes on in 14. Then he returned to Samaria, the rest of the events of Jehoash's reign, along with his accomplishments, his might, and how he waged war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Jehoash rested with his fathers. He was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. His son, Jeroboam, became king in his place. That sounds great, doesn't it? Jehoash named his son Jeroboam. You know why he named him Jeroboam? in pride because he beat Judah. And see, our two golden calves that Jeroboam made a long time ago, they're more powerful than the temple and the Israel God in Jerusalem. So I'm going to name my kid Jeroboam to rub it in their face. Bad decision. We'll see later that was a bad decision to name your son after the man that has cursed an entire nation of people. Judah's king Amaziah, son of jo Joash, lived 15 years after the death of king Israel's king Jehoash, son of Jehoash. He had to live 15 years in shame. 15 years with walls torn down and wealth taken away. 15 years he had to live in the mess of his decision until he died. 
The rest of the events of Amaziah's reign are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. A conspiracy was formed against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. However, men were sent after him to Lachish, and they put him to death there. That's what he did earlier. They carried him back on horses, and he was buried in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. Then all the people of Judah took Amaziah, Uzziah is also his name, who was 16 years old, and made him king in his place of his father Amaziah, and he rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah the king rested with his fathers. Verse 23, in the 15th year of Judah's kings, Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, became king in Israel, Samaria, and reigned 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, because that's what his name is, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He refused to go after the high places. He refused to look at his heart. He refused to really dig in. This morning, I'm asking you something. I'm asking you to repent, to turn away and to turn to God. Revelation says it this way. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous, be emotional and repent. Yeah, feel it. It's okay to feel and repent. Don't just feel. And then look at what Acts says. But what God predicted through the mouth of all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins would be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. It doesn't say seasons of refreshing will come in the United States of America. It says they will come in the presence of the Lord. And last time I checked, God ain't on the throne in Washington, D.C. I mean, he's on the throne overall, but he's not like sitting in the White House. He's sitting in the house, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven he's building. He's on the throne. Do I love my country? Absolutely. Do I love that we have the freedom to do this? Absolutely. But this is not my refreshing. My refreshing is coming one day when Jesus comes back because he says, I will not turn away from you. I'm coming back for you. Oh, man. So why do we turn away from him? This morning I'm going to ask you, what do you turn to? Do you turn to the Lord's side? Are you turning back to him? Are you turning away? What ways are you turning away from the right things and turning to the wrong things? Turn to him. He is gracious and compassionate. He loves us. He sent his son to die in our place so that when we turn to him, we don't have to fear his wrath because the wrath was put on Jesus on our behalf. There is no other religion that puts that out there. It's amazing grace that he offers us, the freedom. And just see, just see, no matter how many years or days you might have left, just see what God might do if you just turn to him. Repent. If you are repentant, ask him to show you the high places. Ask him to show you the places that you don't see yet that he can come in and begin to break down the ways that you're saying that you're worshiping him. That's what a high place is. But in reality, you're worshiping you. And let him deal with that. Let the body of Christ help you in that. So that you don't end up in a mess like this, but you end up in a place where even if the worst thing happens to you, you're put on a cross, you can know that it's exactly the plan of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that you speak so clearly and evidently 
Lord, that your story hasn't changed, that while our stories change, our circumstances change, and we try to manipulate and make things happen the way we want, like these kings we read about, Lord, your story stays consistent. It's the same story from front, to be, from front cover to end, that we are sinful and we need a Savior. We need a Messiah who, to come and to save us. And you came to give us spiritual salvation, and someday you will give us actual physical salvation on a new earth in new bodies. Lord, I pray that if anyone here this morning has not repented, they've not turned to you before, maybe they're like Joash and they believe in you, but, but they worship you falsely. I pray that they would give that up and finally worship you truly, finally surrender and just embrace your grace and surrender their life. Even if they don't know what they're doing, that they would just say, I'm ready to start over. I'm ready to ask you to come into my life because I've never done that before and be changed from the inside out through the power of your Holy Spirit. If, if, if anyone here who needs to pray that prayer, I pray that they would just surrender. Say, here I am, Lord, a sinner. And I know you said you would save me. And you will, you promise it. You saved Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. You'll, you'll do it and you'll complete it. And Lord, help us in this room to turn away from the things that we've read about and turn toward you. We pray in your name, amen.